Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Thursday, June the 29th. We finally had some rain and after a long spell of some hot, dry weather, water is still very much on the agenda despite the change in the forecast because it's feared thousands of litres has been wasted because of a leak in a part of Kent where a hosepipe ban is in place to ironically secure supplies. People living on Cemetery Lane in the Kennington part of town contacted the water company about this last month. Well, Chris Giles was one of them and he's been speaking to our reporter Chantal Weller. I reported this leak to South East Water on the 26th of May. That's a month and that is flowing. It really is not just a drip, it's a flow. All right, it's not a major gush, but by my estimates, I reckon that's flowing at least, at least a litre every 15 seconds or so. A gallon a minute, let's say a gallon a minute, which in the 28 days up until now means a hundred or thereabouts 183,000 litres of water treated water because that's a metered fresh water leak just down the drain and there's the chairman of South East saying how we must be careful and how they're doing everything I reported the leak on South East Water's own instant report website and that was back on, as I say, the 26th of May. I spoke to them on Saturday, just gone. And they, the young man at the call centre was very helpful and offered all sorts of reasons why it hadn't been done, that it's next to the surgery, they need a supply. And the long and the short of it, he couldn't answer the question as to why it hadn't been done. But I did tell him that I'd, kept, I'd ticked the box to keep updated with what was going on. And all of a sudden, about an hour later, I got through their website this little message telling me that the leak had been completed. It's all done. Well, as you can see, running still in the background is uh, the leak that is definitely not completed. So I'd like South East Water to explain to me and the other people that pay their water bills that are struggling to pay their water bills after that letter telling us all to be careful what exactly is that doing there it's a disgrace and are you surprised at the correspondence that you've had that they haven't sort of looked at this with more urgency yes I am I'd, I'd I mean, I don't work with water, but that would appear to me in the current crisis be, be a lot of water to waste. A lot of water. You know, we're coming up for a quarter of a million litres. It's just, why haven't they dealt with it instantly? If the scary thing is, if that's not prioritised because it's not bad enough, what the heck are we losing on a daily basis that they are going out to fix instantly? That's a very scary thought. And um, do you think that other residents in Kennington have the same perspective as yourself? I, w I would doubt that anyone doesn't have, you know. I, I can't believe I'm the only person that's reported it. There must be other people that care. You know, it's, it's just wrong. Companies take our money and I'm not entirely sure it gets end up 
doing what's supposed to be done with it. Well, South East Water say the leak is outside a surgery and that means repairs need to be done when the building is closed. The company's hosepipe ban, as you may well know, came into force earlier this month and it was enforceable as of Monday and that means anyone who breaks it could be fined £1,000. Meantime, ministers are trying to reassure Thames Water customers as the government prepares for its possible collapse. The company covers areas around Dartford and is trying to raise cash to plug a £14 billion debt. It's come under pressure recently because of leaks, sewage contamination, executive pay and shareholder dividends. Placing it in public ownership could cost taxpayers billions of pounds, but Government Minister Neil O'Brien says customers shouldn't worry. Absolutely nothing is going to happen in terms of either their bills or their access to water. We have contingency plans uh, like we do in all these network utilities to manage any difficult situations. We'd love to know what you think about the situation regarding our water supplies at the moment. It's quite a hot topic, isn't it? You can contact us via news at the kmgroup.co.uk on email or you can comment on any of our stories on the website or via our socials. Kent Online News. Other top news for you today. And a Gravesend man is starting 10 years in prison after stabbing another man in a street fight in Dartford before breaking into a house and making threats. Hinsey Hansen left his victim with stomach and kidney injuries but tried to claim self-defence. A court was told the 23-year-old from Zion Place had been involved in a burglary in Essex while a woman and her children were at home. Ten people have been arrested and four weapons seized by police tackling County Lines drugs gangs in Medway. Officers found two knives, a dagger and a screwdriver as well as 12 mobile phones, 400 wraps of Class A drugs and more than £2,000 in cash. It was part of an operation involving Involving plainclothed officers at railway stations in Chatham, Gillingham and Rochester. A Kent police officer accused of sexually assaulting a female colleague has been suspended and will now face a criminal investigation. The historic allegations against the officer, who can't be named for legal reasons, relate back to an incident with a junior member of staff. Chief Constable Tim Smith is said to be taking a zero-tolerance approach to such behaviour. Now, the pilot of a small boat that brought 37 asylum seekers across the channel to Kent has been jailed for three years. Ashari Mohammed drove the vessel, which was intercepted by the border force last July. The 28-year-old denied being paid to do it and instead claimed he had no money but agreed to take charge of the boat for free because of his experience. Well, next today, there has been a significant victory for campaigners and asylum seekers who've been challenging the government's planned Rwanda deportation scheme in the High Court. By a majority, this court allows the appeal on the issue of whether Rwanda is a safe third country. It unanimously dismisses the other grounds. That's Lord Chief Justice Lord Burnett delivering the verdict which overturns the High Court's decision made in December. Three judges agreed there is a risk. People who've crossed the Channel to Kent in small boats could be returned by Rwandan authorities to their home countries and that could mean they face persecution and other inhumane treatment. Well, we've been getting reaction to this development today from Charity Care for Calais and I've been speaking to their Chief Executive Steve Smith. As a charity that's been supporting refugees for several years now, we are absolutely delighted with with that ruling. Um, Although to us it seems pure common sense. Um, Having said we're delighted, of course we remain vigilant. Uh, This probably isn't the end of the story, so we remain determined to continue the fight that Rwanda is not a safe country. This is an immoral 
uh, cruel policy and uh, we would like to see it stopped. It sends quite a strong statement to the government, doesn't it? But obviously they have been very determined that this is what they want to happen. Um, as you say, it's probably not the end of the story. Do you think they will take this further? Oh, absolutely. I, I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever. Uh, I mean, this is seen as a deterrent. Sending people to Rwanda is seen as a deterrent. So if this is such an amazing country to send people to, if it's a safe country, how does that square with it also being a deterrent? I, I don't see how the two marry up. What were some of your main concerns? Do you want to just outline them for us? First of all, we've seen it before. We we saw it with Israel between 2013 and 2018. I don't know that this is very common knowledge. Some 4,000 refugees were sent from Israel to Rwanda under a similar scheme. I think at the last count, something like five remained there. Uh, some were immediately transported across the border. Many, many, many found their way back uh, across land to to Europe. Um, it was simply, uh, it, it just didn't work. Uh, and some were killed by the security forces. Having had that background, there's huge uh, scepticism that this would work for refugees being shipped out from the United Kingdom. Do we now need to switch focus and say we have got to look at more safe and legal routes, which the government say, obviously, there are some available. They are very few and far between. What do we need to do now as far as increasing those routes? Of course we do. Uh, we're not in favour of people risking their lives in small boats, particularly when it comes to families with small children. And we've seen in the Mediterranean recently how terribly badly that can go wrong. So we very much push for safe passage. This works. It's worked for the Ukrainian situation. It's worked for the Hong Kong situation. You have out-of-country screening. You issue a visa. And those people who have visas issued who have a strong chance of acceptance as refugees and then given safe passage to the United Kingdom for assessment. I was speaking to a young woman who'd um, come to Kemp from Eritrea. She got on a small boat and I asked her the same thing. And she said, absolutely. If there were centres available in other countries, she would have gone there. She wouldn't have voluntarily got on a small boat and, and made that journey. So there obviously is that, you know, the small boat crossings presumably would stop if that was made available. They're not doing it for fun. This is enormously dangerous. And of course, there are, there's criticism that many of those coming off the small boats are, are young men. Well, of course they are, because they're in a way the advanced guards. They're the ones who are having to take the risk for their families because they don't want their wives and children to be to be put at risk. Um, yeah, it's a terribly dangerous thing to do. And if we can avoid it with a safe passage policy then that's what we want. Well, we've had this statement from the Prime Minister. While I respect the court, I fundamentally disagree with their conclusions. I strongly believe the Rwandan government has provided the assurances necessary to ensure there is no real risk that asylum seekers relocated under the Rwanda policy would be wrongly returned to third countries, something that Lord Chief Justice agrees with. Rwanda is a safe country. The High Court agreed. The UNHCR have their own refugee scheme for Libyan refugees in Rwanda. We will now seek permission to appeal this decision to the Supreme Court. The policy of this government is very simple. It is this country and your government who should decide who comes here, not criminal gangs. And I will do whatever is necessary to make that happen. Kent Online reports. A shop in Gravesend has been temporarily closed after environmental health officers found illegal meat for sale. 
It was discovered in a freezer at Maibo Foods in Queen Street before being taken away and destroyed. Concerns were also raised about cleanliness, electrical issues and a lack of water. We're told that's all been addressed and the business has now reopened. People living in a cul-de-sac in Maidstone say they still can't go home three weeks after a fire caused a gas canister to explode. The blaze in Old School close in Lenham forced the evacuation of five homes and residents have been told they can't return until the damage has been repaired. The fallout has been labelled as a nightmare with fears they'll be homeless for months. We've got more now on news that students in Kent have voted in favour of moving to completely plant-based meals by 2027. It's all about tackling climate change and having more sustainable food options on menus in future. Well, the union at the University of Kent will now hold talks with caterers on campus about adopting the policy. First, let's hear what people on the campus think. I think it's not necessarily a bad thing because veganism is technically better for the planet, but... Some people need the animal byproducts, iron deficiency, all that stuff. So, you know, I think it's not the best. The university has always tried to be as inclusive as possible, which means making sure there is provision for different dietary requirements or preferences, whether that's uh, vegan, halal, uh, meat or vegetarian. So I think moving to a cross-campus um, ethos around diet and food is, I'm a bit surprised by it. Yes, I mean personally I don't think that's a bad idea, I think we do eat too much meat, so um, actually cutting that down and if it's what the students think they would like to see their campus be run like, I think that's a good thing. The reality is, is that a lot of people have a lot of different food intolerances and allergies and just vegan choice doesn't necessarily cater for everyone. Zaid Mahmood is president of Kent Union and has been speaking to Lucy. Students and our generation uh, altogether are really focused on sustainability because they understand the urgency of the climate crisis and how um, severe its impacts are. We can see it already with, you know, forest fires and flash floods all over the world where the climate crisis is materialising. It's, it's, you know, showing physical impact and it's getting really, really bad. And our generation sees that if we don't fight now and fight for a better future, we won't have a future. You know, we so you see students using the little things that they can, even switching from paper, um, from plastic straws to paper straws to then metal straws and like finding those small ways of being more sustainable and changing their diets. We've seen a huge shift. So plant-based diets and vegan diets were not as easily accessible probably 10 years ago. And in those 10 years, it's rapidly changed where now every major supermarket has plant-based options available. Things are definitely changing, but I imagine there are a few people who will be quite sad to see the meat options go. Have you had any backlash to this yet? Um, Not yet. We obviously do understand the um, inclusivity part of this, and that's something we need to take into account. As part of the lobbying, it is to work with the university to understand what the impact will be on um, you know, the different demographics that we have here at the university uh, and whether that is actually a feasible thing to do is to go 100% round based. The university can, uh, at the end of the day, you know, decide not to do that. Um, and, and we will work with the students. We will work with what the students vote on at the end of the day and how they um, express those views. So if we, you know, 
want to be as culturally inclusive and as equitable of a university as possible, we need to listen to the students and understand that and find a middle ground and find a way to be sustainable yet still be culturally inclusive. Do you think, in your opinion, will it ever get to the point where it is 100% plant-based or will it be more of a compromise? I think at some point down the line, yes. 2077 is, you know, a good target to have. But in my own personal opinion, it it I don't know how feasible it is by that point. That is still only four years away, uh, four to five. And, um, you know, things take a long time to change, as we have noticed with the move from... Um, plant-based diets not being accessible to now, you know, to take in 10 years, it's it's those changes and they do take time. But at some point down the line, hopefully, you know, by 2030, 2040, things like that, I do see places switching and going to plant-based catering. Um, but obviously I'm not the scientist behind this. And I, I, you know, that's just speaking from my own personal opinion from, you know, my own cultural background as well. Meat is a huge part of my, uh, cultural cuisine but it is how you find those alternatives it is how you find those middle grounds and there's so many ways we can fight the climate crisis and this is just one way we have to figure out what else and what more we can do and find those middle grounds to work on and improve well we've been asking on facebook if you think more places should go plant-based or should there still be a choice literally hundreds of you have been commenting on the post i've been checking through a few of them amy taylor says i don't force my meat eating on those who choose not to eat meat please don't force your plant-based diets on me Haley breakers added i wouldn't mind if it actually tasted decent but it doesn't i'll stick to real foods please would like to know what you think of that one and Jeanette Avon says it should always be a choice if you want to eat meat or not as I say literally hundreds of you have been commenting you can still have a say by leaving a comment on that social or via the story on our website Kent Online reports Residents of a road in Dartford say it looks more like a mosaic after resurfacing work. Those living in North Road say it's uneven and looks unfinished and many are hoping for a top layer to be added but a spokesperson for the council say the job is done. A petition's now been started for the road work to be redone. You can see what it looks like today by heading to the story on Kent Online. A new dental practice on Sheppey says it's had as many as 50 people registering a day since they opened last month, but bosses say they have room for more. Another branch of Southcliff Dental Group opened in Minster and already has more than 3,000 patients. The eight surgery practice say they're already working to address the dentistry crisis here in the county and are urging more people to get in contact. The leader of Medway Council has raised concerns about plans for devolution, which could result in Kent having a directly elected mayor. It's something we mentioned on the podcast earlier in the week. Well, bosses are considering the idea. And it's all about giving authorities more power over key areas like transport budgets, roads and public health. However, Vince Maple, who took up the role as leader of Medway after the most recent local election, says the offer from central government isn't good enough. He's been speaking to Gabriel Morris from our colleagues at KMTV. We're not against devolution and we're certainly not against working with Kent County Council. We think on some of the key issues uh, like the climate emergency, like transport infrastructure, of course those two upper tier councils need to be working together. But the reality is this, the offer that we have from central government currently is a kind of binary choice. You either have no devolution effectively or you have devolution, but with this very specific kind of controlling role of a mayor. 
and we're very clear that you know in the election we've just won in May uh, we didn't have anybody saying to us on the doorsteps across Medway we're desperate to see an elected mayor so we don't think that's a priority for Medway uh, do we want more control and more powers and closer working of course we do you know as somebody who loves local government I want power to come from Whitehall down to town halls but it's got to be the right sort of devolution and what's on the table and this isn't the fault of Kent County Council particularly this is what central government are offering councils like Medway and Kent simply not good enough the binary choice is not where a sensible progressive conversation about devolution should be happening. Now, what KCC would like to see is a directly elected mayor. That would see somebody sat above you, essentially, wouldn't it? Well, that's the options that central government have given to KCC and indeed to us if we were to be part of that conversation as well. And look, there's no appetite for that. At the moment, we've got a situation where central government starved councils like Medway of resources, not giving us the resources we need, and somehow to be able to access a small amount of additional resource at this particular time they're enforcing a very specific type of governance structure on us of course around 25 years ago medway took the decision it was the medway community it wasn't individual politicians who took that decision to form a separate unitary authority now that's not the conversation we're having today but it should be community-led and certainly i've had nobody saying to me over those conversations, those tens of thousands of conversations we've had across Medway uh, in the run-up to May the 4th. Nobody has been saying to me, we want a directly elected mayor. So from that perspective, the offer that we have got the opportunity to discuss just is, is simply flawed. That's the fundamental problem. What would it look like um, having a directly elected mayor above a unitary authority like here in Medway? Well, we, we know in some cases that that is working and we understand how that would be potentially rolled out and we know there are at things like combined authorities. From our perspective, we think that the, the choice that people of Medway and Kent would have is simply not kind of nuanced enough. Devolution isn't a simple process. It can be quite complex. And that's about making sure that you've got the right resources, you've got the right governance structures. But at the moment, central government says to councils like Medway and councils like Kent, if you want devolution, you know, you can have a tiny amount of power and control if you don't have an elected mayor but substantial amounts relatively if you do go down that process now we are saying very clearly we support devolution you know we've said to the people of Medway we want to create things like business improvement districts to give power away from Gunwharf where we are today to communities town centres and others across the area that's giving power down to empower our communities Putting that power in the hands of one individual seems to me and my colleagues to be quite a flawed process. So again, I want to be really clear. We're not against devolution. I support devolution. It's just the type of devolution that we're being offered. I think we'd give a bad deal to the residents of Kent and Medway. How would you like to see devolution here delivered in Kent and Medway? So I think it's about making sure that we work collaboratively, as particularly the two upper tier authorities. There's a role for all of the district and boroughs as well. You know, we, we as a unitary kind of sit in both of those camps. So we, we think we've got a good position to say, actually, we're happy to be part of that conversation. But the reality is the Department for Leveling Up uh, Homes and Communities, DLUC as it's known, uh, simply don't allow that to happen. This is different to a conversation around perhaps having councils of a unitary style across Kent. That's a different conversation. That's not for today. Uh, but actually, you know, I would want 
a future Labour government, you know, we've got the take back control bill. I want that to be in a position to allow councils like Kent and Medway and the districts and boroughs as well, because they're key to this conversation, to be able to almost say, these are the powers we want to have central government. Can we have a conversation about that rather than having I say the binary choice we currently have. Well, the plans are being discussed in a Kent County Council Cabinet meeting today to see if it could be a suitable option. Meantime, it's been confirmed Kent will get an extra MP at the next general election. A review's recommended changes to make sure each constituency has roughly the same number of registered voters. The new area will be known as the Weald of Kent and includes Tenterden, Benenden, Cranbrook, Staplehurst and Charing. Kent Online News. One of our most read stories on the website at the moment is changes to Dartford crossing charges. It's after National Highways announced it'll be using a different company to manage its payment system. Now, this means account holders will need to revalidate their payment cards from July the 28th, including pay-as-you-go customers. It's quite important you do it. We've got all the details within the story on the website today. A fish and chip shop near Whitstable has been named one of the best in the country. Aussies in Tankerton is the only takeaway in the county to make the BBC Good Foods list. 16 across the UK made the shortcut. And if you're on the website today, don't forget to check out our Eat My Words food review. Plus, you can find out how our reporter Rhys Griffiths got on as he experienced a new steam train tour of Kent. We've also got a guide to some beautiful gardens to visit in Kent this July. Perhaps wait for it to stop raining and the sun to re-emerge. I'm sure it won't be long, but that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Plus, you can get details on the top stories, direct your email each morning via the briefing, and to sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.